This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. I ran a cold front when I gave my truck the rent. Barreling down I-35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space, be that city. Hey there, howdy. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for telling a friend that you hang out on these other sides of Texas. Jay West Texas Leeson here as we drive along to the end of the week, broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running you always find me in that VIP line there racer car wash stop into one of five convenient locations across hub city for the best wash around you're just coming in go to racerwash.com or you live here and you want to check them out Uh, you're closest location there racerwash.com it would be part of the program hey, we're going to be a little bit jammed up today you can call you can try to call 806-745-5800 or share your text as we go along here i'm glad here on this friday we do have retired colonel michael bob star here up from dias air force base in studio how you doing colonel star good jay how are you i'm glad that you're here and we have brandon darby managing editor of breitbart texas darby doing okay doing great doing great okay so that with it this is just what it's going to be for the hour we're going to get into what colonel star has been up to uh, give you the opportunity to, to check out some uh, an organization that you ought to uh, consider supporting and then uh, later on in the program we're going to play our first round me versus Darby master debaters and Colonel Starr is going to have to be the judge the most important D that I think I've ever said on the radio master debaters yes yeah okay, the, D, so. the D is very important <laughs> in there I'm just so glad that I'm not a, a part of or judging the headline game oh yeah uh, well especially with some of my headlines yeah you don't but this might be a little more difficult Colonel Star. okay well we'll see I'm, I'm excited to be part of it well and my feelings won't be hurt either I mean he kills me in the headline game all the time so um let's just go straight into what have you been up to no, thanks. Uh, thanks for the invitation to come on the show. Appreciate it. No, yeah, I'm, I'm, you traveled up here. We're glad to have you. Yeah, I know it's good to be back in the studio again. So I, I am uh, currently, uh, I actually got my fingers in a lot of pies, but the biggest one is I'm the director of an organization, nonprofit in Abilene called Global Samaritan Resources. Okay. And just, uh, it's been an amazing fit. I've been doing that for about a year and uh, just real proud to be part of it because you were hosting a morning political show yeah For yeah people so, listening yeah. in lubbock it was like you were the brian mud to abilene well yeah i was you know, one of the things i noticed during the campaign is that you know abilene really didn't have a, what i call it a, a robust talk political talk environment like lubbock did and uh, one of the stations down in abilene wanted to get that started and i was happy to be part of it and take a little run at, at the media um but that that uh, that unfolded right as this opportunity came up with Global Spirit and Resources. I tried doing both for a little while, but it was too hard to, mm-hmm. to do both and do them well. So I okay, so tell gave us up a, the show. Tell us a little bit about uh, Global Samaritan. So it's, it's a Christian uh, nonprofit that uh, re- 
it, it's, it has a really unique mission. So what we what we do is we build a bridge between people and organizations that have things to donate and organizations that need those things. So whether that's and and we we meet people where their need is, whether that's uh, around the block or around the world. Obviously, we have global in our name, mm-hmm. but we don't believe in reaching you know past our neighbors and our community, reaching over them as we're trying to re- help other people. We, we'll help whoever we can find that needs help. But, so help them with what? So we we provide logistic services, and that can mean a lot of things. To us, it means storing, staging, and shipping. So we got a fifty-five thousand square foot warehouse. Wow. On the uh, on the original site of the college that is now known as Abilene Christian University, so there's a, a real interesting historic tie there, and uh, so that that's where the storage comes in. Staging, we, we can get stuff ready to move uh, again, whether locally or around the world, and then the shipping part we don't do ourselves, but we have relationships with other partners and and, and shipping firms that will do that at a pretty good rate, and we just pass those savings through. So we don't we don't take anything off the top for from people that are paying for the shipping. Okay. But they'll they'll provide supplies, and then there will be donors who come in and provide for the shipping. Yeah, exactly. So the uh, we, you know we sort of in in that warehouse we use that warehouse to collect excess items, and so we we do a lot of medical supplies. That's kind of how we started. It's the heart of our business. Uh, we do educational supplies. We do food. Uh, you know, obviously not non perishable food. Mm-hmm. Water purification systems, and uh, do a lot of office furniture. Right now we have a warehouse that's pretty full of church pews. Be- really? Yes. Yeah, so then that- Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I like church Can pews. Can we buy some or Yeah, well, do they if, have to if, be shipped. If you need them and it's a and it, you we- Let me tell you, we're running a uh, small-time <laughs> orphanage at my house and, Okay, uh, so do you need uh, some church pews? Pennies for the Lord here. Yeah. <laughs> no, what we ran into no, we pay good money for in, it. In, in the in the wake of uh Hurricane Harvey, we found a lot of we, we started hearing reports of a lot of rural churches in South Texas that had been completely flooded out and they lost all their furniture, all their pews, mm-hmm. and weren't weren't sufficiently insured to to be able to replace them. So when we find that out. We kind of we put the word out to just the local churches in Abilene that if anybody's getting rid of your pews, we can take them and store them and and find a home for them. And lo and behold, there's a there's a. a a pew market out there, so we ended up with a, with a warehouse full of pews. Yeah, we've sent several down to uh, Port Arthur, Vider. Um, we ended up with so many that that we we were initially focusing on churches that were destroyed by the hurricane. We ended up with so many now. We we actually sent two truckloads to Laredo with a church planning organization that was is setting up a new church, and we were able to help them out with that too. Okay, but mainly. So this is my impression whenever I look at Global Samaritan and looked at it. I've seen it over the past couple of weeks. I've looked at it closely knowing that you were coming. But mainly it seems like disaster relief. Maybe I say disaster relief, but let's get some relief into to folks across the globe who are really hurting, whether that be war-torn regions or natural disasters, or yeah, and it really is a grab bag. So right now in the warehouse, I've got uh, I've, uh, the shipments we're preparing. I've got some food getting ready to go to Iraq, and we've sent five millions of servings of, of food into northern Iraq to refugee camps. Uh, working with a Muslim charity there, so we will work with. We don't restrict ourselves to working with other Christian organizations. We'll help whoever needs the help. Okay. Uh, our, our mission is great. Christian, but but we'll reach out to other places. And we always work with an organization, so we never send aid to a person. And we also never send, and this is important in disaster relief, we never send aid to a place. We always send it to a partner. There's someone on the other end that, mm-hmm. that is waiting for it, that knows how to distribute it, 
knows how to assess the need and get that those supplies to where they're needed most. So, like as I was saying, so we, we're working with the Barzani Charity Foundation in Northern Iraq. So we have that food going there. We got food staged to go to Nicaragua. We have a bunch of school supplies that are headed to the Ukraine. We have some medical equipment and college supplies going to Zambia. Uh, we have a, a shipment going to Kenya. We have another shipment getting ready to go to Guatemala, and this is in response to the volcano down there in Guatemala. Uh, some medical supplies and, and shipping supply, or I'm sorry, shipping building supplies. Uh, headed to Guatemala. So as you're heading up this organization, Colonel Sar, are you getting, are you initiating contact or is Global Samaritan established enough that they're coming to you? We're, we're established enough where it, a lot of it comes either th- from a partner we've worked with in the past that knows what we do mm-hmm. or indirectly. So an, an, an organization is, Barzani Charity Foundation, they were trying to find an organization that could, that could ship them food. They were working with a, an organization called Trusted World out of Dallas. We had a, a relationship with Trusted World. Trusted World told Barzani Charity Foundation, hey, you should give Global Samaritan a call. So mostly it happens word of mouth between organizations. Although since I've taken over, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make that outreach a lot more deliberate and doing things like uh, attending humanitarian aid. <laughs> Believe it or not, there are humanitarian aid conferences like just like any other convention you might go to so mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to those things you know passing the business cards around making contact and and trying to develop our partner network so that so, we're able to respond more quickly. So are you Colonel Star flying the planes out? No no no, no. no, no. You don't no, ever just want no. to crawl in the cockpit? No, no. I, put on your I, Maverick helmet. One, one of my one of my recurring nightmares I've had recently is I'm I'm stepping out to fly a B1 and I can't remember how to start it. Really? Yeah. You <laughs> got that dream? Yeah, it happens like that. That makes me so that makes me feel so much better about walking <laughs> in my fourth grade social studies <laughs> class in my underwear. Yeah. Like if you being the hoss that you are having that dream yeah. okay um so interesting that's an interesting part of your life yeah no it's it's a, it's like like i said it's it's a really it, i had volunteered for them and uh really was retired retired and doing only volunteer work in the community uh volunteering for a lot of organizations including global samaritan and uh, just because i really believed in their mission loved what they were doing and the board called me one afternoon and said hey we we uh we want to ask you to do something for us i said well i never told you guys no so let's the answer is yes let's go get coffee and, and figure it out they said, "Well, we want you to run the place." And I said, "Oh well, uh, maybe two cups of coffee, but but uh, mm-hmm. let's let's try to find a way to make this work." Hmm. Uh, let's plenty of questions mounting up in my mind, at least. I want to ask you this: as we're going to break and we'll get back in, we hear all of these, and you can tell the stories about this too, Brandon Darby. Venezuela seems to be in absolute meltdown. And, yeah. Uh, Global Samaritans activity there. Michael Bob Starr with us here on the program, and uh, Brandon Darby as we roll along. Stick with us here. We're going to go make some money and uh, be right back with you here. Jack other side can't of Texas. Drink when you're best friends with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's the other side of Texas with Jay Lacey. Top it off, I'm bound for Texas. On this long stretch of Interstate 10. I've got all of Louisiana. There's always a teller where I've been. I'd like to kill that dirty dealer. Other side of Texas, thank you for being right here with us as we are rolling along here colonel michael bob star return do i have to say is it can i just call you colonel 
Sure, or, 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 or Michael Bob. You, you, so, um, uh, I don't know. Michael Bob would be fine. Right. But. Uh, Brandon Darby in studios. We roll along. So, if you're not flying these planes to get these uh, supplies to various places across the world, who's flying the planes? Well, actually, a lot of stuff we ship is going by by sea. So, we will. Oh. In fact, we're packing a couple of shipping containers. Uh, the one going to the Ukraine will be by shipping container, and and the one going to Guatemala. What do you do about like I was listening to a story the other day about like whenever you see ISIS, they're all rolling up in the Toyota, which is like the ultimate. I don't want to say this. This is the ultimate endorsement of Toyota that the world's leading terrorists want their product. They want to put like big Uzis and whatnot in the back of the. Yeah, Toyota. I don't know where those things come from, but, but they're all how, yeah. But how do you how do you pre- in these regions? They're obviously volatile whether it's following natural disaster or political upheaval or whatever, how do you make sure that the supplies get where they need to go? Uh, that's a great question. From port and, by boat. Yeah, so that that's why our model, and we really stick very closely to this, of, of only working through partner organizations. And so let, let me let me actually run through the, the Iraq food process because I think that'll illustrate it pretty good. We normally get, we sent 5 million servings of food. I think I mentioned that earlier. We normally get that donated. Uh, sometimes we have to pay to get it to our warehouse because it, it has to be inspected before we can ship it. The, the reason it has to be inspected is because we use a program, an Air Force program called the Denton Program, that allows you to ship humanitarian aid on Air Force airplanes on a space-available basis. So in other words, the Air Force tries to pack every plane going to the Middle East, but sometimes you have excess space, and if they do, they can throw some humanitarian aid on there doesn't cost anything but there's some administrative hurdles you have to go through and, and the, the inspection is part of that so we we collect it in our warehouse we get it inspected we, we uh, you know, submit the application through the Denton program they find airlift for us we have to take it to Dias Air Force Base for pickup we normally get that shipment part which is just a short drive but we get that also donated it it gets on an Air Force airplane it makes a couple of st- stops on its way to northern Iraq, and normally Charleston, Germany, Kuwait, and then into Erbil. It gets off the plane at Erbil into an, an army-run logistics yard, and the Barzani Charity Foundation drives a truck onto the yard and loads it into their vehicle. So everything that gets loaded at in our warehouse and at Dias Air Force Base ends up going directly to a Barzani Charity Foundation refugee camp without going through the government of Iraq, without going through any warlords along the way, uh, so it, it's just a really effective model and, and way to get stuff to where it's supposed to be. Hmm. No, my brain. I was just thinking about different uh, different groups along the border in several states where it's just uh, it's very dangerous to run drug rehabilitation centers. <laughs> very yeah. dangerous. Yeah. For um, it's just, in fact, it's more dangerous to run a, a drug rehabilitation center in certain border regions in Mexico. I'm talking about. Than it is to be a journalist, you know, like they don't they don't cotton kindly to people, to their market being reduced. And um, I was just thinking of certain ministries I know there, and I was just my brain was clicking about, you know, just about how things could be, you know, like I know how I would get a shipment of of support into those people, you know, because I go see them all the time. Mm-hmm. 
But um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, my brain was just working. I'm over here thinking. I'm yeah, like, so wait a minute. Wait, the colonel could, wow, we could really help these people. And we could, you know, my brain is just No, clicking. absolutely. And we're always looking. I hope we can talk about it after the show because we're always looking for, for new partners and, and other people that we could help. But, uh, you know, we, we, we've, we have sent some stuff into Mexico, but we use um, shipping companies that, that run that route pretty regularly. So they have a reputation. You, you know that yeah, yeah. If, if they're running through there pretty regular, they... They either have a way, or they found a way to get it through the. They're without, paying. Yeah, yeah they, they're paying. Probably, they're paying protection yeah. money, yeah. or they'll get killed. I, yeah. yeah, I wasn't gonna say that. But, but yeah, you, you know how it goes. Yeah, like journalists do that too. You know that, right? Like mm-hmm. we can't because obviously what we do is like really offensive to cartels. <laughs> right. Yeah. But like most journalists, like they'll go down there and they'll look so heroic. Like I'm not gonna say the names, but most news outlets and they go but they don't mention that they paid like they got permission from the cartel for like 14 grand or three grand or to be there for three hours you know that kind of thing yeah. and then they're down there it's i was just thinking about that but people don't realize that's how business works in a lot of areas and local local groups know how to navigate it whether sometimes it might be that or uh but obviously if it's going to a u.s military base it's not the case yeah. you know yeah the stuff we send into northern mexico we, we use a lot uh, and, and actually I'd, I'd like to talk about this guy so it's, it's called rick kaywood ministries but it, it's a trucking company he's got four or five semis we call it the jesus truck because he's got Jesus written on it, and you know, like a thousand-point font on the side of his semi-trailer, and uh, he—I don't think they're paying anybody off, but he, he makes that run so often that uh, I, he doesn't get hassled by any of the players there. Hmm. That's good. That's cool. So, but to the point about Venezuela and uh, real uh, volatile states like Venezuela, what? What do you do there? I mean, you're still working with partners, but partners by extension. Like, here's a group that's like, this is how I imagine the conversation going. Colonel Starr, we have this group that's trying to start up in Venezuela. It's been decimated. They're starting up. So is that how is, and then how do you, have you run shipments to Venezuela so far? We haven't. And that's, it's one of the areas of the world I, I'm kind of keeping an eye on because obviously it, it's already bad and, but has a potential to, but is this to like, get a lot is worse. Is this like you going into your office in the morning and there's turn? do you have like a world map up on the wall? We, we do. Actually, yeah. it's not in my office, but we do have a giant, so, I mean, yeah, humongous so, world map. So you're like super colonel sitting there looking at the wall. <laughs> yeah, thinking, right. Where you're, do you're making it sound way, way more. It's like, lit, it's like a lit up table. Yeah. yeah way, way He's more. like MacArthur of, yeah, of world no, no, it's really it's not that. Red October, no, no, you know, no. like how they did it with the yeah. table, and uh, they're all around the table. I, I should say, it's a it's a nonprofit, so we're really not investing in that. No, kind of stuff. but you can still be hardcore <laughs> yeah, yeah, with no. a nonprofit. But you're trying to work on yeah. Venezuela yeah. there, okay? And you know, when we've talked a lot about the international stuff, we we do a lot in the local area. In fact, uh, and and this year looks like it's going to be even more because that's an area that I've really wanted to invest in as an organization. Uh, since we've been tracking it the last four or five years, we, the maximum amount we've done in the big country community, the maximum amount of, of aid and supplies we've delivered is about 100,000. We are already over 150,000 for this calendar year. Okay. So, I mean, we're going we're gonna to crush any record that, that the organization's had before. But we do a lot in the local community, and we're pretty proud of that. Hmm. Uh, Colonel Michael Bob Starr and Brandon Darby here. Uh, in studio as we were along with you on a Friday, your thoughts and text 806 745 5800. A couple of those get into here in just a moment. Um, you mentioned the congressional campaign. We're talking about the congressional campaign for uh, U.S. House District 19, uh, Texas 19. And 
Would you have imagined... Well, so now we're going back into history. Well, but would you have imagined three or four years ago, before you decided to retire, that you... Has this always been something that you had in your plan to run an organization like this? No, no, not I mean, this, this really came out of the blue, but... Um, it, it's one of those things where when you're going through life, it, it feels like you're zigging and you're zagging, and, and, and it, it seems like there's no rhyme or reason to it. Uh, but when you get there, like I am at, at this point at Global Samaritan, you can look back, and in, in hindsight, you can see how it all lines up, and it's led you exactly to where you are. Yeah. Cause, you know, I brought a lot of things to the organization that have been very helpful in terms of my military background, you know, just being a planner and being deliberate and strategic. But the fact that if I hadn't had that campaign experience, I wouldn't know how to raise money. I mean, I'm, I'm asking people for money all the time now, and that's something I learned how to do on the campaign hmm. and, and how to leverage media and to get your story out, which, you know, it's part of what I'm doing right now. But that's something I got comfortable with as a congressional candidate. Mm-hmm. Well, like, so that's so interesting. Like, you know, what's so uncomfortable is asking people for money, even though you're not doing it for you and you're doing it for others. It's like... It's so it's because like I have a lot of wealthy friends, you know, just from what I people I interact with, and they're like, "Hey, you ought to ask them to fund," and I'm like, "No, I won't do it," you know. And they're like, "No, but you ought to ask them to," and I'm like, "No, I have friends, and I don't ask my friends for money." But then what happens is like a lot of times those people are looking for opportunities to do something good for the world or help, but it, it is uncomfortable at first, right? When mm-hmm. you go up to people with resources and you go, "Hey." friend like or hey so and so you know like you could sure help a lot of people in this region of the world or in our local community and this region of the world it's very uncomfortable isn't it it's like it's something to get over right yeah but I, but I think you you do get used to it and it is easier asking for a you know a righteous you know mission like global Samaritan has versus asking for you know, hey, can you can you give me some money so I can because I want to run and and, and go, be go easier, to Congress. Right, yeah, right. Right, yeah. But, but there's still were. I'm, I'm sorry, Jay. But the uh, so I was used to because this is funny that I, I was used to asking at a federal level. So it, I, even at Global Samaritan, the first time I asked someone for more than fifty four hundred dollars was a mental block for me. You know, like I had to go talk to my 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 fundraise, my development director. Like you got to coach me through this because I I know it's nothing. It's just a number, but it it's a it's a hurdle for me. <laughs> you know, I'm asking for twenty five thousand dollars. You know, I, I, it, that that seems like a lot bigger a lot, lot more than than five thousand hmm. oh yeah yeah, totally. yeah but but you know it it, it is and, and you're right i mean people are at that level they're looking for good causes to invest in some of them yeah some of not all oh of yeah them. okay yeah good good point but a lot of them are huh yes. like people mm-hmm. want to do something with it they just want to make sure it's, it's something's being done right. you know it's weird is in the nonprofit world like do you think like so basically what you guys are doing is by facilitating you're doing a lot of stopgap right so you're not really, you're not getting in a world where you're competing with any nonprofit for resources or a takeaway. You're just looking at what is already happening in the world that's helping people, the least of these, and you're finding ways to help them do it. Exactly. Basically. Yeah, and, and that's so, pretty cool. Yeah, and, and we're not competing with like like Samaritan's Purse. I mean, big nonprofits with a big overseas mission. They have their own internal logistics, and, you know, mm-hmm. office and and, and processes. We're serving sort of like uh, there's a church in San Angelo that had collected a bunch of supplies they wanted to uh, send to a missionary in Jordan. Near San Angelo, Texas, they don't know how to get a, a container, a shipping container to Jordan, but we know how to do that, and we can help them out and, and, and make that happen for them. So here's where I want to 
end up this segment as we go into the next one i see some commonality between you two because often you'll come in the studio and you'll say the rights arguments here on the border and whenever brandon darby talks about the border he's not talking about just the american interests on the north side he's talking about well beyond the south side of the border and i hear you say well look there is not a one uh one stop solution on the right right now so there needs what you're effectively saying there needs to be a conversation between the right and the left in order to find a modicum of difference so that you aren't saving these people in the name of some philosophical hero or some party name but at the same time colonel star karen is texting the question i'm going to try to paraphrase her into asking the question to both of you you're not you're saying help now help out of a christian aim but maybe not to a christian in so far as proselytizing or so far as conversion but maybe that sows seeds for later on exactly yeah okay it, in fact our, our, but our, as i look yeah. at you two across the table from me right now i see that's a point of mutuality between both of your stands that you got going yeah i, I agree with that well I, I always found and this might be offensive i don't know i'm gonna say it i'm just gonna talk I've always felt like, you know, because I, I didn't, I never really thought of it until New or- New Orleans after Katrina, right? And there was a a large chunk of the group and the groups giving money to that effort that I was involved in, and they would do things provided you went through, like undoing racism training, or provided you went. And I'm like, these are predominantly black New Orleans residents. You're trying to, so it's like, hey, we'll help you we're going to give you X, Y, and Z as as long as you, like, sit through our indoctrination, you know? As long as you sit through, as long as you, like, you hear what I'm trying to tell you and you hear my message and let me try to, like, persuade you and then we'll help you. I've, I've always found that troublesome. And then, consequently, in, in hindsight, I've looked back and I've thought, you know, a lot of times I feel like like religious groups do that too you know what i mean it's like hey we want to feed you are you hungry sure just come to church and everyone who's here by 10 when church starts gets to eat a great lunch at noon you know and you're like well wait a minute you know what i mean because in a weird there's a there's some weirdness to that you know in my opinion i've always thought that like i've always thought that was a little awkward so some groups would say well we don't want to work with a, a an islamic organization but then if you did that then that you know it's almost like some people think that that Jesus doesn't love, you know, someone who's lost in Islam, and like they, they like somehow if someone's Islamic, I mean, sometimes I, I know it sounds horrible, but I this I'm, I'm going to say, but sometimes it feels like with a lot of the U.S. Christians I interact with, you know, it's almost as if they think that God loves us more than He loves like Muslims or than He loves like people coming across the border. You know, like it freaks me out sometimes, man. Like there's, there's like, like, like somehow people who are in Islam don't also need to have interactions with loving Christians, right? To right, see who yeah. we are or whatever. Not that I'm trying to preach. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I, 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 like I said, I, I agree with that. Did, we, did uh, I go? Did I go too controversial? No, no, no. I, I, not for me anyway. But the, uh, <laughs> not so our 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 mission statement is to demonstrate God's love by providing logistics expertise to organizations that are helping people that are facing hardship crisis or disaster so if if we got our, if if Hezbollah called me tomorrow and said hey I, I need a shipment of of you know, water purification systems 
I'd probably go, eh, no, I, I think you probably need to go to someone else. Right? <laughs> but, but that wouldn't be really based on a, on a religious basis as much as kind of a security basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in fact, we... Um, how much time do we have for the break? Do I, can I tell yeah, another quick story? Ahead, to, okay. We're going to go a little bit long today anyway. Okay. All right. So, um, like 10 minutes long. So in this this uh, Food for Iraq program, uh, we had a food packing event supporting that in, in Sweetwater, in, in a church in Sweetwater. And the uh, the congregation there had, uh, they, were, they were packing the food. They had brought kids. There really wasn't anything for the kids to do, so they were running around, you know, like kids do. And they started coloring on the boxes that had been packed just you know just kid pictures and random coloring we, we boxed it up and we shipped it over there and uh after that that shipment arrived in iraq the, the barzani charity foundation called back and said hey when are we going to get some more of that those boxes with the pictures on them because although those boxes went to one camp the barzani charity foundation is running 14 refugee camps still in northern iraq somehow the refugees had had managed to communicate with each other so even in camps that didn't get the colored on boxes they were asking for the colored boxes from america so we 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 turned that into a program we're, so we're just uh, now we're deliberate about it. we call it food and hope so food goes on the inside the hope is on the outside and we uh, you know, offer that for for kids to come in and they can now that because we're using air force transportation we can't be uh, overtly proselytized so you can't put crosses on there you can't put jesus loves you or anything like that but you can drop flowers and rainbows and and you know peace and joy and, and hope and you can do all, all, all that sorts and kids love doing it and the refugees love getting it and and uh to the people that and because we have gotten some criticism you know so why are, why are you helping you know muslims you know and one of my answers to that is there are kids in those camps that one day are going to be told that america doesn't care about them and they're going to say or they're, they're going to think you know in their own way hey wait a minute when I was a kid, I remember getting a box from America that had a rainbow on it that another kid wrote on and sent to me. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I believe that. Yeah, wow. you know, I I'm glad you said that because I I get very disturbed by that, especially. <clears throat> I get very disturbed by that. You know, I get very disturbed by. Well, because an easy which point part? of rag- well, radicalization is that. Here's a country that's brought upon these circumstances, however true or not, right. this yeah, is a country matter. that's brought these circumstances upon you, and then it abdicated you to circumstances, and it makes a lot of difference whenever you get the unicorn or the rainbow. Humanizing, you're showing your humanity, just yeah. interacting. That's what I mean. In, I, in, I, in an unconditional way. I mean, showing right. them unconditional love. That's what I mean. Like, th- there's this tendency, <sighs> I'm trying to say this without getting... It's really hard not to get political right now. But, like, I was doing a Breitbart radio show, right? And uh, I was in D.C. doing with the border stuff. And, which I try not to go to D.C., but I, I kind of had to go. And uh, it was important. And I had a representative on the, you know, from Congress, a, a, a house rep on my, uh, on my radio show, on the Breitbart show. And he started just railing on Muslims, right? And I'm listening to this guy, and the the things he was saying, I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is like, I was almost astounded at some of the stuff he said, right? And I I, I just was silent, but kind of about it. And then he got off the radio, and then today I saw a bunch. I, I finally looked it up to see if anyone picked it up, and there was a bunch of stories about it. And his his issue was that there were Muslims in the U.S. who were working in meat packing plants, and some of those packing plants <laughs> packed pork. 
and so he was like going off about how he does and I was just like some of this stuff and then one of my friends told me he goes you know I listened to the show and I was like yeah great he goes I liked it except that one part where so and so was on he goes how would that have went over if someone said well I don't since Jews don't eat pork I don't want Jews on packing my pork or you know and I was like, oh, gosh, you're right. You know, you start to realize there's really is, there are some groups in the world, and, I, and I'm not one to, to don't go get someone listening, getting mad at me, going, oh, well, let me tell you about terrorism. It's like, don't tell me that, because I used to work undercover and stop terrorism, help stop it. So I get it, right? I get that there are issues. But the level of dehumanization that happens, like some groups of people in the world, like we're just not even supposed to interact with. We're not even supposed to, you know, show any humanity toward them, you know? Uh, or it's somehow like disloyal to us or to our country or something. It's, it's really bizarre. And it has the exact opposite fe- effect, like you were saying, you were saying. It has the exact opposite effect on um, on, on uh, bettering the world. It actually hurts the yeah. world because these kids will grow up and they're obviously going to be told that anyway. Right, yeah. And so here they are. Maybe they'll have a little piece of that box that they, that they saved, you know. Well, I'll say this to the point. Yeah, my brother, Michael, he's my younger brother, but I look up to him. He's taller than you, or you look no, up? Oh, I, okay. I do. I, I look up to him. I'm, I'm much taller than him, and he didn't get the fat gene like I got. It. I like to call it a gene, at least blame it on a gene. But here's the deal is that he'll go to Africa, and what Michael will tell you, whether he's in West or North Africa, who does he ingratiate for? Who does he most identify with without any Westerners there? Who does he most identify? He identified, now not radical Muslims, but moderate Muslims, because they have so much commonality. The monogamy, the commitment to home, the the conservative-leaning bent that they have in their home. Now, I'm not getting into all the crazy you know, Muslim teachings, but I'm just saying, by and large, standard Muslim, that's who Michael, that's whenever he's trying to be incarnate and try to be get involved in communities he goes to those folks and has had huge success i mean so far as proselytization i say proselytization he winning being a witness yeah you gotta be careful people i don't want to use like some sterile language but that's and it's that's just because it's who is and that's my point is that somebody this has been 15 years ago but the, it's a staggering how many missionaries come out of West Texas back to making this other side of Texas radio program. How many missionaries to Muslim nations come out of West Texas? And I think that there's a reason. People who are committed to their place, people who are committed to family and have a certain view of the world and West Texans naturally ingratiate with those people and they are receptive of them as well. Yeah, can I, can I just reinforce that real quick with, no. with this point? It, if So you've heard what we do at Global Summit and Resources, if you are going to intentionally create and set up and organize a, a humanitarian aid organization that did in, worldwide aid and sent logistics everywhere, would your sole facility be in Abilene, Texas? I'm guessing probably not, right? We're not known as a giant no. shipping center, but we're there because of the generosity of West Texans and the heart of West Texans to help that's why that organization started there and so that's that's where we are and that's where mm. we'll stay mm. oh hey, that's great we're gonna break off here get into another commercial break stick right with us here more colonel michael bob star gonna, a number one in 
get into a little more policy, and then I'm going to obliterate Brandon Darby and Master Faders coming up. Stay right with us here on the Howdy, Jay. West Texas Leeson here. I'm going to tell you about my friends at Flint Boot and Hat. They've been building hats since 1994 and repairing boots, I guess, since forever. My dog chewed up my ostrich boots. Jared and his guys replaced the heel, made them look new again, put new pulls on, and at a super affordable price, they've resold my boots, and they build great hats. Love these guys. Go check them out. 3035 34th Street or Flint Boot and Hat Shop at Flint and 34th Street. See more at flinthat.com. Molded out of red clay and baked in the West Texas sun to perfection is the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. Lord, it's the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and new shiny cars. Hey, uh, welcome back in. Brandon Darby and I talking trash because we're about to play Master Debaters. And if you guys are okay with it, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play Master Debaters here. Well, just help people with that. I don't think most people know what that is. We're going to give a scenario, and you and I, whether or not we agree with the position, I'm going to be assigned a position, you're going to be assigned a position, and then we're going to argue about it. And this is a, a real thing. I mean, we've got like a deck of cards here. This is a, a real game out yeah, there, right? Okay. It's a real game. Okay. Right. I'll try to do it as long as I... And it depends. Then we'll get back in with Colonel Starr on post-congressional race to now and uh, finish out the program. If you're listening live, appreciate you listening. If you're sh- on the podcast, appreciate you sharing it with friends. Uh, apparently hundreds of people doing just that. Uh, let's go into some master debaters now next time we play master debaters i'll have some theme music lined up but here's the deal mm-hmm. colonel star has the deck you're going to cut the deck it's going to give a scenario i'm going to be assigned a position you're going to be assigned a position i'll lead and then in the next round you'll lead but we each get a rebuttal Possibly. Okay. But I think but since, since you're starting this, because it might be a position you don't hold and someone could use it against you by taking sound clips, you should do it in a different accent, like an Irish accent. I can't I can't do it. I, mean, I know. I'm, that's why I want I'm to I'm Irish. It. I had Stan Lambert on, yeah, representative yeah. Stan Lambert, earlier this week. My family came down to Abilene, Scotland, Ireland, Iowa, Abilene. Well, and, I'm just saying, uh, since we're doing these kind of things, we but, ought to just go all the way with it and get some helium. Okay, <laughs> maybe next time. Yeah, people are going to sound clip us. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. We, we've always got it in the full audio version. So, Colonel Starr, we ready? Do us the privilege of pulling a card. I, I want to tell. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll tell. You him. sure sound nervous. He does sound. A little I nervous. don't know what this game is. I yeah. thought you were some, making something up. I didn't know there's a game called Master Debaters. So is there a time limit on the on the on the I arguments? I think we're just gonna go just, twenty seconds each. Lucy Goosey. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. And you just want me to take the first card. Yeah. No matter what it says. I don't care. You're sure. I'm good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> How are you with this guy all the time? When is it? Is it explicit? No, 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 no. Yeah, it's FCC safe. I think. I mean, okay. the, the question is, I don't Let's know about do the it. answer. When taking a shower, mm-hmm. you should stand facing. 
which way? So, Jay, your position is you should stand facing the shower head. Mm-hmm. Brandon, you have to argue that you should stand facing away from the shower head. Well, everybody knows <laughs> that, especially as a man, that there is a great deal of comprehensive wash that needs to go down, most of that being on the front side. So it makes the most sense, of course, every morning I wake up, I look at the shower head, I sing into it like I might, like that's the first thing. It's not even a hygiene thing, but I, I have my hand on the shower head and I'm singing into it and it's going down. And everybody knows, like they sell go bomb for a reason because it's people who don't face a shower head who stink all day. Like, you've got to get that washed up, and you've got to face the front side. Backside, dude, that is, that's a cowardly way, 100%. Well, I, I think, uh, I mean, first off, I think Jay was obviously has some, he's a little overly aggressive about this, and I think that the reason he's overly aggressive about it is he's revealing a lot about himself by saying he has to face forward to wash his business. <laughs> In my situation, I can face the other way, and most of my business still gets washed, you know, um, as long as the water's aimed low enough. So I think that's where a lot of the, you know, kind of the Napoleon-esque, like, okay, but frustration is coming from on, on Jay's part. Are you done? Uh, yes. And see, but here's the problem with your argument, is that you're out there on Hockley County well water, and everybody knows that... Hockley County well water is in peril right now, given the drought that we're in. And so it just assumes that you've got enough coming over the front side that maybe you are, Brandon Darby, a little indecent in public. Maybe, maybe you ought to turn around and just face it and sing into the, the showerhead every once in a while. No, you know, I, first off, I do understand that there is a need to do a quick rinse off on the front. But really, the back end is probably where most of the odor would come from if someone wasn't bathed, I think. At least I would hope. Okay. All right. right. We're going to call it. We're going to we're going to judge just it. Go call for it. it. Okay. You know, I actually think on the merits of the argument, I think Brandon made the strongest argument, but uh, I I also think he left the most room for improvement on the delivery. So based on the passion and the uh, the energy, I'm I'm going to give that round to Jay. Well, let's let's hey, hold on now. I, I, I there's no protest. We're just moving no, on. No, I'm just going to make a mention. I'm just going to mention some. The reason I didn't have to make a good argument is because Jay revealed quite a bit in his argument he made the argument for me but there's no debating right you, you, we're not debating the judgment are no, we I, 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 listen this is what uh, I think your judgment is, is being clocked. let's go with it what's but, next but I will say this so now that it's over I thought we were going to have like questions, like deep philosophical questions about life. No, or, no. or what if Russia it, launched a well, missile? Guess, this is depends this on is where you take it. Most people every day. Go ahead, Carl. We got time for another one? Yep. Yes. All right. Is there a point to making your bed, Brandon? You have to argue the, the position. Yes, there is a point to making your bed. Jay, you have to argue the position that no, there's no point. And we start with Brandon. Well. I, w I would say that it's important to make your bed. It makes you feel better. And um, if you're washing your sheets enough like you should be, you know, having that kind of inspection, that time for inspecting your sheets really matters. You know, it's really easy for people to forget to wash their sheets. And that would be really bad, especially for people who don't bathe the back end, right? <laughs> don't, don't face away from the shower head. And I would say that anyone who's married, any male who is married who says it's not important to make their bed, 
is probably venturing into sexism right there, some mis- <laughs> mis- misogyny, because they're basically saying, no, I leave it for my wife to do it, and that's not okay. Okay, so are we back in the real world now? I think we are, because my wife, I like to get up, make her coffee in the mornings, and she'll have her coffee, I'll get ready, front-end shower, come out, and she's gotten up by that point, has been stimulated by the coffee, and she has made the bed. Uh, she understands that there are employees who need to be uh, checked in with. There are things that need to be run. And so she she will care for the bed. And it's not that I don't make the bed. I think a, a bed being, but I'm not going to make the bed, period. End of story. I'm not just not going to do it. I, no point to it. It's just going to look the same way anyway. Uh, I'm not a bachelor. So luckily it gets made. Even if I were a bachelor, there's no time for that. Uh, you got to get on with it. All right. Is it judgment time? Yeah. All right. I'm going to give that one to Brandon. I yeah. think he did a better job answering the question. You answered yeah. his position, but not really we, the question. Okay. So here's transparency. Um, struggled on that one. Struggle bus. Uh, we both make our respective parts of the bed each morning. Oh, so you're you're having a hard time reconciling with reality. So uh, yeah. So I'll roll up my side of the bed and tuck it in and. Okay, uh, last one here. We got time for one more. Yep. All right. We start with Jay. Should socks be worn with sandals? Jay argues yes. <laughs> Brandon, you get to argue no. And we start with Jay. Okay, as a uh, radio host in Lubbock uh, who wears socks with sh- like there are more than a few on at this very time who who wear socks with their sandals, I think it's a very wise thing. I think it helps you keep your conservative wits about you and Michael Quinn Sullivan and Empowered Texans love that you do it and it's a requisite. I think that uh, from the true Buddy Holly Studios or true Texas Studios, you always want to have your sandals on with socks. It it is a lead male like you look at a guy he's got on ostrich boots you're like huh i wonder what that guy's about or black leather uh crocodile boots okay but the guy in sandals and socks he's sending a message that cannot be underestimated like if you want to be hardcore you got to live hardcore and there's nothing more like living hardcore and being a true texas conservative them wearing socks with sandals um i I think here's what i think i think first off jay has a lot of energy about this i understand that and i'm I'm sure a lot of that aggression does stem from that first question we talked about and the things that that revealed um and i feel bad saying this because if i were jay and i had his issues with toes like i would probably wear socks as well but in my situation i find they told me that toenail needed to be pulled yeah. They told me that. So in my situation, I think it's very important that people's feet air out, right? Uh, people's feet need to air out. People need to get some UV on their feet. Walking around barefoot isn't something most people can do, especially in West Texas because of the stickers that we have and the what have you. So I think that you know, wearing sandals or flip-flops without socks is really important, health-wise. You're, you're a liberal! <laughs> the, the desperation with the Hail Mary move at the end. Go ahead, Colonel. Yeah, so I, I, that I, one. Again, I, I, Jay brought a lot of passion to that. But I, I, but we uh, know where that passion comes from. Yeah, and, and I ultimately found I found Brandon's argument a little more compelling there. So I'm going to award that one to Brandon. Okay, from 
the true Texas Buddy Holly Studios. <laughs> the game of master debaters. Do you think Buddy Holly wore socks with sandals? No, I don't. I think he was too much of a man to do that. <laughs> I was assigned a position. Uh, that our first edition there of master debaters gonna get in here uh, go to a break and uh, get in with Colonel Michael Bob Starr close out here on the program stick with us here maybe the best part of the program coming up right here other side of Texas Darby beat me according to the venerable Colonel Michael Bob Starr, however venerable that I lost. Um, congratulations, Darby. Um, and I will, you did right, and I will treat you to dinner after this for what you did. I, I appreciate that we had that time to negotiate beforehand. So, um, I want to, I want to ask you this: now that you're on the other side and you're retired, uh, Colonel Starr. Whenever you're looking at nations, uh, you send shipments to Afghanistan, send shipments to Iraq. Um, I want to ask you, and I'm not going to be as pointed as some some texts that we've gotten, but I want to ask you, do you have regret about especially the Iraq war, or the battle, not the 91, 92, but the follow-up? What, what's your hindsight on that now? Wow, that's a really, really good yeah, deep question. Curveball. The, yeah, yeah, Welcome no, no, into the program. Yeah, yeah no, no, no it's, I appreciate it. I, mean, I, I appreciate because the real I questions. I don't know a lot of people who see that, even today, 2018, as a success. They look at it as like, well, we did that, and we're still not sure why we did that. A lot, tons and tons and trillions of dollars later... Why did we do that, and did we make things better? Yeah, no, I, I, no, and obviously I'm I'm speaking with the benefit of hindsight, and and uh, oh, I hope you will. Yeah. So the, the uh, first, I'll say I, I think personally, I think we went into both Afghanistan and Iraq for absolutely righteous reasons. Totally support the uh, the initial operation into both those countries. I, I don't see how you can, and, and you know, I, and I went back several times. I was deployed 1,100 days since 9/11, and spent a lot of time over Afghanistan, a lot of time inside Iraq, and, and in the surrounding countries. I don't think there's any way you can look back, especially at Afghanistan, and not conclude that somewhere along the way we kind of we lost our way, and we we turned into we 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 took a a nation building path that I, I don't think you can justify in hindsight. And and unfortunately, I think now we're in a situation where just, it's, there, there's no good answer, right? There's, there's no mm-hmm. easy way or clean way to stop doing what we're doing, even though I think it's become clear that it's just, it's not working. And so maybe we're mitigating loss at this point? Well, I, I don't know if it's that. It's that... I think to actually do the things that have been U.S. objectives, and, and I think I can go back to using both U.S. objectives in both Iraq and Afghanistan, to actually achieve those is going to cost more than the country is willing to pay. Our country. That's the truth. Yeah, more than the U.S. is willing to pay. So and and frankly, more, more than Afghanistan and Iraq is, is willing to pay, but too. But a long-term investment, like maybe 20, 30 more years, is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yes, I, I think that's what it would take, and I'm, I'm not sure when, that the political will is there to do. When that. you say investment more than we're willing to pay, you mean with our like our kids' lives too? Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, see, because I, I think about this now, especially with the females and the military, and I'm like, man, I don't know. You know, like obviously, if my if my country needed my daughter to go away, you know, to like you think, well, I hope she would serve the. Co- but then I think, and I'm like, I, that whole situation, like, it's it's troublesome to me. You know, like, there's a lot of things that we're entangled in right now that I don't know that, you know, I, I think it, and I'm not trying to get political. I, 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 I get critical of both sides, but I think going around hearing Joe Biden talk about how the Taliban aren't our enemies and what have you, I think at that point I kind of started to sour on that situation. I don't really want more U.S. lives lost, you know? Right, yeah. I just want us to, you know, and then they, someone shoots back and says, well, you know, if we're not there, then it'll become this. And it's like, well, there's a lot of places in the world that are already that, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't know. I, 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 I you know. The, the real sad thing is, like, especially in Iraq, I mean, we're close. I, I, and I think we've been close for years, but but we're close in this sense. We are one good national leader, one good Iraqi national leader away from six, from achieving everything we've ever wanted to achieve in Iraq. Probably, it might take a couple generations to, to for that guy or, or gal to emerge. Probably going to be a, a guy in that culture. But I mean, I'm talking like a, an Abraham Lincoln type of a guy. Mm. But it's, I think, then to get back in the global Samaritan, oh. I think it's important that whenever folks go in i would just assume that we're going to do this like there's an orientation people are there to pack and to donate and to put up boxes going into northern iraq and they are giving an orientation as to why this is important that you know there may be an abraham lincoln leader you know forget all the partisan claims and economic like we're we're going to get their oil and forget all that um that you're able to say I've been there, I've seen this, and it's important that we make this investment because we're going to need packages to be going to them for at least the next decade for people yeah. to get in their into their minds how important that work is. Unless they're left to, I always use this phrase, but uh, I've read a uh, letter from Birmingham jail too many times. Um, whenever people get lost to the tentacles of circumstance, that's where ISIS comes, mm-hmm. and that's where radical groups come. Yeah, yeah. The the, the orientation uh, to the extent we do, because a lot of times we end up working with groups that are already sort of aligned that way. I mean, they're they're they want to help. They're trying to help. You don't have to sell them on helping. Uh, but the the orientation is actually a little more simple than that. It's it, it, there are people that need help, and I mean to survive, and and we we have an obligation to help them. And and if I if you have to make the argument, and I, and I normally don't have to make it with the people that are helping, but sometimes people that are criticizing that effort, I, I would say somebody is going to meet that need. Would you rather it be ISIS or America? Because mm-hmm. those kids are going to remember who met their need. Hmm. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, absolutely. You know, I think I think it's a hell of a situation. But a lot of a lot of places in the world are. are there's a lot going on right now, you know, and, and there's a lot of people in need. And I think that, you know, governmental organizations doing things is it's very helpful in some ways. But I think there's a lot of room for NGOs and for, for non-governmental yeah, not organizations and nonprofits to, to meet needs. And 
and um, and and really, when when you have such large bodies like like U, U.S. government giving aid, right? And you have you have such large bodies doing aid. Really, the best thing that anyone could do is to step in and in logistics, really, mm-hmm. like the stopgap measures, and try to figure out like where there are holes and how to patch it and how to influence to fix it. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's a really good situation. And, and, and Jay, if I could log roll just a little bit here. So we've talked about the Food and Hope Initiative and the fact that that started in Sweetwater. That is something that, although we're based in Abilene, we can take that on the road pretty easily. So if there is a group in Lubbock that's listening right now or someone listening that has a, a connection to a group that, that is thinking to themselves right now, hey, that sounds like something my church, my group, my my neighborhood association, whatever group it is, that, that sounds like something we'd like to do. By all means, I mean, you can, you can reach me through Jay. Uh, our website is globalsamaritan, all one word, dot org. You can email us through that website. Uh, please reach out because we can, we can easily bring something like that up to Lubbock and uh, let let the rest of West Texas participate in some of the goodness that's happening down in yeah. the big country. GlobalSamaritan.org. And, and that's an interesting point, Darby, and I think it's invariable, especially in this program, that we get into policy weeds. But lots of times I hear people say, well, we've got to cut all foreign aid. And I don't think that people understand whenever they make those kind of comments what kind of vacuums number one because america has made regardless of what we think about it now hindsight whatever you can't just leave now and there has to be aid that's brought in but so far as west texas's economy is concerned there's a whole heck of a lot of food and fiber that rolls out of this region that's involved in those policy aims and i think that that's lost on people from time to time that you know it's west texans that are meeting the need for and our producers and growers meeting the needs for those things going out yeah and, and i right i mean there are a, a, certainly a lot of people out there that are opposed to government foreign aid and and i, I respect that um it and if if you find yourself on that side of the fence then then providing private aid is an awful good way to uh to to uh, lessen the requirement for for government aid. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're going to be growing like a million bushels of wheat, then go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, but, you know, I didn't mean that direct. But, but, but put your money where your bushels are. No, but it is a way to be supportive of other people. There's a there's a book by this uh, woman named uh, Dambisa Moyo. She wrote a book called Dead Aid about Africa, and you know, but it's a really amazing book. I really suggest people read it. And in some ways, when there's so much governmental aid um, and things are done in such use swaths, it can actually it can create an economy that's very dependent on that. And that's why it is important that you work through local groups, you know, that you work through local groups as much as you possibly can and just try to be of aid to them because they're the ones who ultimately, you know, like even if you look at it on a, on a statewide level or a re- county level, right? If I have $20 million just as a private individual and I want to help people in uh, along the border in, in, uh, in uh, you know, the Rio Grande Valley sector, I don't know which of those people should get that help or how to do it the best way, right? I really don't. I just know that those people are in need. But if I work through local groups, they know which people really need the help. They know which people are good people and not good people or which people are going to use it the right way and not use it the right way. So I think that's great what you're saying. But even regardless of the foreign aid argument, I think people working through private charity is pretty important. Yeah. Well, I don't have any doubt about that. Uh, again, Global Samaritan 
dot org. I think it is important. I think people underestimate what kind of loss it would be in the U.S. economy and what it would cost us in foreign policy initiative to just abdicate it. That, that's my point. I need to look more fully at that picture before advancing uh, an idea like that. And, and, and it's I, pretty complicated. I agree with everything Brandon said. It was a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because there is an aid trap, right? You can you can you can overdo it, right? And, and create circumstances that that end up uh, hurting people, more, even when you're trying to help them. And and we avoid that, as you said, by working through local partners. The, there's another argument to be made. I think that uh, if if you care a lot about refugees coming to America and stopping that flow, that one way to stop it is to meet their needs where they are, because they they what they they what they really want they just want to go home. I mean, those one million refugees in, in northern Iraq they just want to go back to their homes. They don't want to leave. Um, but and if you can meet their needs temporarily there and, and tie them over until they can get back home they're much more likely to stay there and, and much less likely to go uh, go to a place like Europe or even America where they can be exploited by groups that are trying to do us harm. Hmm. So, Colonel Starr, let me transition into this. And, Brandon, I just see on Facebook there was some co- controversy yesterday on the program about uh, some blowback from Blue Collar Bill, local conservative really conservative guy who had some things to say about Helsinki and about Trump's performance. I need to play that audio. We're going to do it after this next break. Uh-huh. Take a little bit longer. You can, you can jump in, as you will, but uh, people who chimed in on Facebook, we said that we'd give their voice to be heard on the program. But before we move into all that, Colonel Starr, you guys good to sit here with us for about 10 more minutes? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, this is, you mentioned the, the campaign before. The congressional campaign. And I think back on that, and watching that from then to now, like as somebody who writes and somebody's interested in telling stories and hearing your work with GlobalSamaritan.org, um, if I, like, something that's brewing in me is to write a piece of losing and winning with Michael Bob Starr. That, mm-hmm. that to walk through that campaign and then to be leading an effort like you are, which I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, all sorts of crowns in heaven. I mean, things that you, results that you won't see within your lifetime, but you're helping lead those things up. And it, I wanted to take opportunity here just to be fair on this radio program to say that that was my first we only have those campaigns in this region and for people who are listening outside the region the the congressional uh, seat here runs from north of lubbock and west of lubbock and goes all the way through the big country into abilene and having been in a position just in radio and media for a couple of years and that to come up which only comes up like every 20 or 30 years here on average um, probably realistically 15, 15 years or so. Um, there were things, I, especially as somebody, and I say this all the time, I do not do this for a living because I don't think you can do it for a living and do it honestly. But even saying that, in that campaign, I portrayed you, as I thought, and you work with with what you think, that you were an operative by the former congressman in that race and I made that claim on this 
um, well, at that time it was West Texas Drive, but I never corrected it. And I want to take this time to apologize to you that I didn't, and it wasn't with, I hope you'll hear me say, it was not with maliciousness that I didn't correct it. It was just, oh, there's more news to get to. There's more. But I never went back and said, I'm wrong on this. And I want to apologize for you to you, number one. Number two, that that, they're telling how much you learned from that. But for me, it was a real lesson in being responsible behind a microphone. Well, I, I, Jay, I, I really appreciate you saying that. You certainly didn't have to. I mean, you, you and I reconciled a long time ago, and uh, I, I don't have any regrets about running. Uh, I, and I had have never had, I mean, even the, the night the results came in, I've never had any bitterness about the outcome. And, uh, you know, I know this isn't a religious show, but, I mean, I, my attitude all along was God has a plan. And, and I think he did, and I think it worked out exactly the way it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Especially now. Well, I'll, I'll say something to that, too. Um, wasn't intended to. I, some of it I've said privately, but I'll say it publicly. Uh, so I, I exist in a world that's very intense and cutthroat, right? I, I cover politics, and honestly, after, after the race uh, that you were involved in, and we clashed, yeah. you know, um, that was a big uh, that was a big time in my life where I started to really cover politics less after that I just was like okay I can I can be brutal in politics yay you know and then I felt like not great you know um, so what happened in, in my situation was I <clears throat> I looked at comments you were making on the trail at a, at a family values uh, conference and then I looked at things from the Dias Air Force Base gay pride group, right? And I felt like it showed hypocrisy. Knowing you now and having listened to your explanation um, of how those two things are congruent, it makes pretty good sense to me, you know? So in that sense, I felt like I was unfair to you. Um, I also feel like when people are in politics, you have campaign people you listen to. I'm not naming anybody. And so the natural campaign response is if Breitbart contacts you, is like, don't comment back, stand up to it, that kind of thing. And it was like, I really wasn't trying to be like, like I had no dog in the fight at that time. You know, I was just kind of like, what the heck is this? Um, and so things got really out of hand and it got really brutal. And I think that that another campaign in particular, like really seized that and it just kind of compounded and, and, uh, uh, had we communicated or had had I known the person that I know you to be now I would have not assumed that that things were incongruent or that you were a hypocrite and so for that I do apologize as well oh well shoot Brandon I appreciate that too I, this was uh, certainly not planned at least uh, not how I expected this conversation to go and let me for, for people who are watching that campaign closely the second week of February uh, I'm sure they are shocked at the thought of Michael Bob Starr, Brandon Darby, <laughs> and Jay Leeson being in a room together yeah. having a civil conversation. Uh, and what what most people don't know, because we haven't talked about it on air, is is after that after my part of the campaign was over, you know, I I, I took a trip up here deliberately to meet with a, a group of people, and both of you were on that list because there were people w- with whom you know that things just didn't end right, and I just wanted to make it right. 
uh, with you, Brandon, it was in, in the course of, of and, and I agree with that, I think we were manipulated into a place where we were adversaries there for, for a couple there were, of months. There were a lot of currents in that water yeah. we were swimming in. Yeah. Uh, but I, in the course of that, I think you believed that I was attacking you, and, and I really wasn't. I never never intended that, and I and I, I apologize for it at the time, but it was so emotional I knew you couldn't accept the apology, and so I, I wanted to, to come back and make that right and let you know that I wasn't calling you a coward, and and don't believe, I've never believed any part of your job was cowardly. I think it takes a lot of guts to do the things you do. And with Jay, you know, the, uh, for, you know, for similar reasons, I wanted to, to, to touch base and reconcile with you, and I'm just glad both of you took the meeting and, and agreed to talk to me, and, and I think that we're in a lot better place now. I just, look, my point in leading with the losing and winning is that it's clear that for people there are lots of conversations that go on with people like myself brandon with people like uh, colonel store behind the scenes but it just becomes clear to somebody over time that who somebody essentially is and i think that you have proven through global samaritan who you are uh, in the aftermath of all that and so it's i think i think i'll speak for you here i'll take one time where i will speak for you brandon darby it's easy to make that apology because you've proven your character and your merit in what you've done after the race you just didn't go like well I'll be a hermit and get on facebook and and complain and wait for another campaign like you decided to go out there and help change uh, the world but there's more to it like than that i think just private interactions we've had you know like you get to know somebody and where they're coming from mm -hmm. and what matters to them and so yeah definitely and and don't take that listeners that i'm saying i don't like errington i like errington i wish you could both be in there yeah well, you and, know? and for what it's worth i i do too you know i, I think he's doing mm -hmm. a fantastic job of right. representing us. but but the the bottom line is is that you know had we communicated more and i known more I, I wouldn't have handled it the way i handled it you know i, I exist in a way and i don't apologize to a lot of politicians i, I actually dislike most politicians <laughs> i'm i'm really vocal about it um but in this situation i found you to be a really good man and uh and you know i wish i had had uh given more time to to listen to you you know in hindsight your explanation of all that makes perfect sense it's it's kind of like what you were just saying about the middle east right it's like if people are there and and there's no reason not to like love people and be good to people and interact with them you know yeah but but here's the beautiful thing brandon if 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 that had gone differently and had resulted in a different outcome than where we are right now it would have been a complete tragedy for for me and errington and everybody involved i, I think it, it it happened exactly the way it needed to happen all right. Because then I would be behind. Why didn't Star vote this way? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. We told you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, stick with us right here and uh, be right back. This is what happens when your mother drops you on your head one too many times. Welcome back to The Other Side with Jay Leeson. Hey, 
Hey, welcome back in Other Side of Texas. We close out here, a little bonus edition here on a Friday. Uh, yesterday we had Blue Collar Bill on the show. And what I appreciate about Blue Collar Bill is, like I let off yesterday and I said that too often on the right, there is, and I use Jordan Peterson, a public thinker, use some comments from him. Too often on the right, it's the hierarchy and ultimate allegiance to the hierarchy and anything else be damned. Like, this is the way that the state runs and we give ultimate allegiance to the state. And then, that's the problem on the right. We learned that after World War II. On the left, there is this movement right now that everybody, everybody has equal outcomes, regardless of effort, regardless of uh, uh, whatever might or whatever time and effort they put into it everybody ought to walk away equal both of those i think historically have proven to be fallenness but that seems to be where we are in this country right now with the extremes but what i appreciate about blue collar to set all that up blue collar bill had some criticisms about the, the summit in helsinki where he felt like president trump capitulated to putin and this is what he had to say and we've had a lot of comments on the other side of Texas Facebook page. This was Blue Collar Bill yesterday. Like, my whole thing is this, is we can go after people on partisanship or you can go after people on corruption. And I think that Trump, his big disaster, and I agree with Newt Gingrich here, this is the most regrettable moment of Trump's presidency, and I think people like you and I are beginning to see it. I'm right there, brother, and I don't want to. I don't want to alienate or upset any of my friends. I mean, I've lived here in Lubbock my whole life, but I'm always going to stand up for what's right. I'm always going to call out what's wrong, and it doesn't matter who's who. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. And what happened on that stage in Helsinki was wrong. All right. On every level, he is blue collar Bill. You hear him just about every week on the program. Thank you for taking. So, to go back in, uh, some comments come in. Read a few of them here. Um, that We just used a sec- That was about a 10-minute conversation, and people chiming in. Richard chimes in and says, how did he capitulate? And uh, we'll go back and listen to the audio. And John Wyatt uh, chiming in and has a bunch of Zs like he's going to sleep. Uh, Betty... President Trump is not a non-thinking Democrat. He will do what is best for the United States. So shut up and let him do his job. Robert Powell, uh, I think Trump didn't think through his answer about believing the U.S. intelligence and answered it honestly. Then the predictable Fuhrer arose and he had to go to do his quote hostage video and walk back his answer the liberals will have another omg i can't believe what he's doing moment next week um i i think that's dessert like i'm a guy who praises trump where he needs to be praised and i'm going to be critical where he needs to be he i think it's fair to say on that stage he stood more with Russia than he did the U.S. How, how, whether he was underprepared or whatever the case might have been, that's how I read it. Um, okay, so I, I have mixed thoughts on that, and I'm gonna. Some of this is gonna make me sound like a liberal. Some's gonna make me sound like I like Ron Paul. Um, some's gonna make me sound like 
a lot of things. But <clears throat> it was hard to watch it for me, right? Because he did look low energy. He did look weak. Uh, the comment was hard for me to hear. Um, very hard for me to hear. In fact, I was, I was infuriated when I heard his answer. Um, the problem was is that what I did immediately after that was I just started going back through the um, former CIA director and the former FBI director's Twitter. And honestly, I, I, for all the thousands James of... James Comey and... Yeah, but for all the thousands of people in the Intel community and IC world... Like, God bless you. Like, I, I don't mean to be insulting to you, but honestly, that answer doesn't affect you because very few of you had anything to do with that intel or those investigations, right? Or that intelligence. What I can tell you is that when I look at, you know, Comey and, and Brennan and other, they, they leave a lot of room to question, like, how much integrity they have in an investigate they're they're very political they got out of a situation and got extremely political um i can see where he was coming from i i it's hard for me to tolerate that he said it on foreign soil that he said it dealing with putin there's that part of me that remembers you know ducking down under my school desk for drills right when i was a kid mm-hmm. um but then there's also that part of me that looks at like what we did in the russian elections in 1996 i mean that pretty directly in, in affected Putin at the position he was in at that time, even though he did later immediately go on to work for Yeltsin, right? But a lot of the people who had, you know, former KGB, former intel community in Russia were very resentful at how much the U.S. and the IMF, like, impacted that rela- that, that election in their country. And, and it was a very pivotal moment for them. It was going you know, continuing and kind of gradually decreasing social nets and what have you, or going full on Mm -hmm. capitalist, right? Almost laissez-faire at the time. Um, So when I consider all of that stuff, and then I think about the election prior, and that this is something that we do to their elections, they do to our elections, I have mixed feelings on it all. You know, I really do. Does it bother me that they tried to tamper? Yes. Do I think they did? I do. Uh, Do I think that Putin's lying? I do. Um, I I wish that Trump would have just said that and said, look, we both talked about it and we're going to stop trying to influence each other's elections, you know, because that's really what I think is going on. I I don't know. It was hard for me to watch it. Um, It did kind of look like, you know, like Putin was his boss in that situation. I didn't like that. Um, It bothered me deeply. You know, it still does. Actually, I thought about it today. I thought about it yesterday because he just looked so weak you know he looked made us look so weak and um but at the same time if we were really having an honest conversation i think what it would look like is hey the russians and the u.s have agreed that we're not going to jack with each other's elections anymore you know and we're going to let the past go and we're going to move forward because we're i mean you know some of this stuff people are like no they're our enemy they're and it's like well then send your kids you know, send your kids to sign your kids up to go be the first on that front line, because that's where that'll go. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I, I hear a lot of that, but I don't think that a lot of the parents I hear are really thinking about what that looks like. You know, like what where that looks like and where that goes. So if they committed an offense against us and attacked us, definitely I understand it. But my understanding of history is that really they just did what we do and we do what they did and that's what we do to each other and for some reason it's an issue this time yeah 
I will say this. Sorry, that that's hard me, to talk about. For me, the leader of the free world, the president of the United States, I don't, I don't get on the radio and. You know what my wife told me last... Like, I've got this real... You know, I don't go into my whole domestic side, as it were, on the radio. And I thought he did that. Um, And I don't think that we've seen a president do that before. That I've got these real problems at home. And to use a stage with... And I will say an arch enemy. And, I mean, an old communist KGB leader. Yeah, seeking the West destruction. That was... that. Now, again... I've I voted for Trump twice now, okay, and mm-hmm. for a reason. But I want to be honest but, but at and least, say at least Putin's you don't, honest you about don't it. Cite that. Yeah, but at least Putin's honest about. It. I mean, like Obama and Castro. Let's talk about that, or let's talk about George Bush and Saudi Arabia. You know, like who funds all the the most of the insane yeah. movements of people wanting well, to uh, blow us up? Okay, and no, I, but I'm saying I'm like, not discounting. Like your I, point, I, I, I I get what you're saying, but but also it's like you know no one's on air specifically focusing every question about your wife and your personal situation either you know like that was something that you notice none of the other journalists from the rest of the world asked those questions it was liberal u.s journalists trying to just you know poke him and and so you know i do i think it's good that they ask the question yeah it's fine they have a right to ask whatever question they want to ask i do i wish he would have handled it differently yeah but this this notion that just we're over here being nice people and Russia just came out of the blue and attacked us as though it wasn't retaliation for us doing it to them. We do it to them all the time. We jack with them. We get the World Bank to like bail their country out. That's what we did with Yeltsin, to bail their country out so he, could win. he couldn't even pay his, the government employees and the pensions. So the World Bank, at our request, like dumped a bunch of money into him, which helped him win the election. We also sent advisors into every region in Russia we sent PR specialists sponsored mm-hmm. by the State Department. I mean, come on. Like, like yeah. that pissed off the, the former okay. communist regime. Right. No, my point is, is that that's what governments do to each other, and it's not right, you know? But, but it is a situation where two kids are punching each other, right? And one of them might be my kid, but I have enough, like, objectivity to step back and go, yeah, we're both punching each other. Knock it off, right? Let's knock it off. But no, you're not going to pick up a gun and go shoot that person because he punched you harder the last time. Okay. Just knock it off. Well, I can see that point, but this is this is where I would leave the conversation on my end. Well, it's we're leaving say, him out because I don't I don't want to implicate well, you. I, in I don't this. know if the colonel wants to get involved. That's, what I was, that's why I haven't asked any questions. <laughs> I, I, that's why I haven't looked at him. I was like, I don't want to put him on the spot. No, yeah. Go ahead, Jake. Well, my point there is there is a way for Trump to leave the conversation there and just say we have been arch enemies for decades and we will evaluate this in the days and weeks to come. I wouldn't say, well, he says he didn't do it. Like, that's not helpful. It was like, an artful. It was, we, yeah. No, and what he should have said is, we both do it, and we'll find out the ramifications of 2016 in the days and weeks ahead. In the question. Not, well, you know, I've got some questions about the intelligence community in America and... This guy saying uh, something says pretty he bad didn't, to hear he him didn't do it. I agree. I agree. It's ter- like every it was his Dixie consultant chick, ever is his Dixie chick moment. Exactly. Right. Yeah. He went off. His Natalie Maines moment, and like now Natalie Maines is like, wait, so do you guys still hate me, or because <laughs> why are you guys voting for him? I wanted me banned from yeah. country radio. Final thoughts there, yeah, Colonel. No, no, I, you guys have covered you, it pretty again, well. Again, you don't have to get yeah, involved. No, I, no, I understand, <laughs> and, and, and I, I, I do have to, you know, in my current 
you know, uh, endeavors. That, that I've got supporters and, and donors that, all across the political spectrum, so I, I, I do want to be careful. But I'll, I'll say this. So I, I think the thing that you can most charitably say about what happened in Helsinki was that was non-traditional and not what people expected. First thing I'm, first point I'll make about that is that's a, to borrow John Dickerson's phrase, that's a feature, not a bug. That that's what we ask for, and that's what we put in place. Um, the second thing, and, and I, I think this is my key takeaway from all this. I understand the discussion we had now this afternoon. I understand the national discussion that's that's happened over what happened in Helsinki. The we did not appreciate the consequences of Reagan and Gorbachev's meeting in, in Reykjavik, Iceland, for ten years. I don't think we'll really understand the consequences of what happened in Helsinki for at least that long. So a, a lot of this this sort of immediate uh, analysis and, and commentary, I, I think, ultimately will be overcome by whatever happens over the long run. And I think it's too early to, to tell what that might look like. Man. So well, there he is, just blowing over just both of blowing our like, both of it. Like, I, where did they meet again? <laughs> I will say, though, though, it looked like Trump got dominated on that stage. Mm-hmm. That was small piece compared to how much Trump is actually dominating Putin in policy. I mean, I'm, he's really being brutal. Like, you know, he's not like winking at the at the 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 elected uh, Russian leader saying, "Don't worry, I'll be able to bend more after the election." There's none of that going on. Like, like policy wise, I think we're being very brutal in this yeah. administration to Russia. So maybe that was some effort. Maybe Putin was just like, "You don't understand." Like. I look like yeah. like I'm your you know your gimp like like policy wise and he's like oh I'll make it uh, who knows what okay. went through his brain so, I didn't like it either but I get what you're saying we're gonna we're saying. gonna close this program at some point but here, here's here's my big deal is that we try to be strident on this program and like we aren't gonna give ultimate devotion to Republicans in Texas or Democrats in Texas uh, in. We focus a lot on Republicans because they're in charge of 90% of things in Texas. And I don't think you have to give ultimate allegiance to a platform or a party at any level. But my surprise with with Bill Varner's comments yesterday were that the kind of blowback he got is being like, well, you're a liberal if you don't think, you know, it's like, no, we're Americans. And as Americans, you can vocalize dissent and not be sent off to political purgatory. There, there's this thing called a conversation stopper, right? The most prominent conversation stoppers in our country right now is these two things: you're a liberal, or you're a Nazi. Uh huh. You know, yeah. those are the two. Yeah. And um, or you know, uh, those are the two. And and like, once people go there. Once people go there, there's just no conversation after that, right? It's like like we talk about Empire Texans and Michael Quinn Sullivan quite a bit, or we've come up. I like Michael as a person a lot, but I don't like the way he does things li- politically, and that's because he he engages in that the knee jerk, the knee, and it's a powerful motivating tool. Steve Bannon uses it in a different way, right? It's a very powerful short term political tool, like, and and people on the left do it, right? where people on the right do it like that those conversation stoppers that's what everyone is like if if you step outside if you step outside in any way of 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 what they want politically you're a liberal Mm -hmm. and if you step outside what maxine waters wants which you might not say you're a nazi but she's dang sure gonna imply it Mm -hmm. right uh and that's 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 it that's that's where this comes from and and 
that's unfortunate that that's where we are. So you have to have some major credentials, right? Like I hit so hard on border security and I'm so supportive of border patrol agents that I can humanize people coming across that border and remind you that they're human beings. Not saying I'm advocating for amnesty, none of that. I'm just saying they're still human beings. Mm -hmm. Jesus loves them as much as he loves me and you. That's a fact, right? Um, You know, I can do that and, and only get called liberal half as much as you would because of things in my history, right? Um, I can criticize law enforcement because of my history, and and people will go, wait a minute, he normally doesn't, and he's... I can get away with stuff like that a lot more than most people, but most people can't even step outside of the line. If they step outside of the line, they're a commie, they're a liberal, they're a Nazi, they're a white nationalist, they're a... Cl- you know, these are the kind of things yeah. that get thrown around. Well, and I'll just... Here's the deal. Last night, I made a tweet about... Uh, Wendy Davis stepping into a campaign and I said hey listen that Wendy Davis my point was that all Wendy Davis does at this point because she's speaking from such an ideological fringe she just energizes Republicans so if you want Wendy Davis involved in a general election mm-hmm. it's you're going to get two more votes against you than you're gaining is my point just as a political spectator and there was a local Democrat in Lubbock who spoke up very vocally to me that I know who you're talking about. You know why? Because there's only one of them. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> and so no, there's four. T- took exception to what I'd said, and then as I said, "Whoa, you know, look," and I posted what Wendy didn't did she say you about. hated women or something? Yeah, well, hold on, that she spoke up against Andrew White, who I absolutely convinced Greg Abbott was concerned about and so he went hard in on Lupe Valdez up in her name recognition for people who hate Greg Abbott so she would win that's my own theory but then in the end I was you've not heard what I've said and I said you watch even Lupe Valdez show me a race where Wendy Davis has helped outside of her own races and she all she's done is hurt in those races especially whenever they came to generals in quote-unquote make-or-break districts, Republican, Democrats. And then in the end, guess what? It wasn't Nazi. It it wasn't Misogynist. It was that uh, you will always want a woman leading from behind you. You still have a small-town perspective. And I'm paraphrasing. I think it was a little more brutal than that. It's like, really? I mean, that's that's where we are in this whole conversation. I don't see the world right because I'm not urbanized enough. Was no, but can you, I know, but can you imagine yeah, how unbelievable. just offensive that person must be in Lubbock? Imagine if you're like a Democrat, like a, like a way out there liberal Democrat in Lubbock. Like you would walk around, you know, like you would walk around with armor on all the time, ready to punch everybody because you, you'd be so, you'd feel so under attack if you lived here. You really would. You'd be like, oh my, unless you lived in, somewhere around the J&B coffee shop or something, right? Hmm. Like, you know what I mean? But within two blocks of that place, but pretty much everywhere else, you would feel really, you would be really ready to fight all the time, you know? Yeah. It just, it, that just, and I've got a lot of respect for local, and I get called liberal a lot because I'm willing to engage that conversation. Um, but whenever the fall off is, you know, I don't say, well, you over-educated Eastern liberal living in, like, I, I don't do that. I'm just like, you're wrong. Wendy just causes losses. Show me evidence otherwise. And it's, well, I can't because you're a small town misogynist. Like, okay. All right. Well, I guess that's where we are in the dialogue. And you wonder why the left and right don't talk. 
I get hit by those guys all the time. It's the right and the left do it. They really do. Yeah, it's, they make it impossible to like everybody does. It's okay. like it's unbelievable. And back know? to Russia, Russia sees that in a democracy. The ultimate question is always people who are the least and lost. And what do you do about those people? How do you help them? Well, we provide welfare. Well, some of them abuse welfare. And so it becomes this big, conflagrated, bullcrap discussion. And we can't hear one another, especially when foreign adversary. I think that Russia understands it's a soft war at this point. Get in there. Make these people hate each other so they can't have a discussion. And then these absolute problems that are not ha- don't have ultimate solutions... Mm-hmm. Don't even have approximate solutions, and then we'll see. You know what I'm gonna do? You know what I'm gonna do? From now, when people do that to me and call me a, a like get ugly politically, I'm gonna be like, "You're doing the work of Russia." <laughs> I'm just gonna start that. I'm gonna start the third conversation you, stopper. You held. You're doing what the right Putin would like. What you're doing, <laughs> selling these divisions. Okay, we got to get off. Uh, Colonel Michael Bob Starr, thank you. Uh, I don't think we've. Uh, actually had as long an edition of the program as we do now. <laughs> yeah, I, I did so. actually oh, my digital strategist just sent me a uh, screenshot news and politics he just hired a digital strategy he's like uh oh, my uh he's like he's like my uh like like is that a humble brag when i went to harvard uh you know he's like no there's going to be somebody my personal assistant who does all hired. this stuff off air um the number 19 News and politics show on iTunes right now. Right really, all of them? What, so listen, not just like Texas. Uh, it's NPR. In Someone knows In something. County. <laughs> Rachel Maddow is beating us because I'm a liberal. Uh, Arthur Brooks, Louder and Crowder. Stay tuned with Preet, and uh, then we come in at number 19. There. So, uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing this program with friends. Uh, for Brandon Darby. My buddy, Brandon Darby, and Colonel Michael Bob Starr. You can check out his stuff again, globalsamaritan.org. Yes, sir. Yep. Right there with Colonel Starr. Some of you guys in Lubbock, uh, your churches, looking for a good way to to have a global footprint, you can do that there with Global Samaritan. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week here on the other side of Texas. Keep on raving oh, on. Hell, 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 hell,